This podcast is a presentation of Faith Assembly of God, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Get more information online at faithishere.org to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 11 a.m. Thank you for making this podcast a part of your week. Bible is out. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. How many came hungry for the Word of God today? Trust you've got your Bibles and are ready to join in. We welcome all those who are viewing by way of the video venue. Great to have you on board as well in the back building. And uh, what an exciting, exciting day today. We've been talking about the purposes of our church. And one of the reasons God has raised up Faith Assembly of God is to equip believers to do the work of the ministry. That's what God has called us to do. And what a great book to go to, 1 Timothy where Paul is giving instructions to his beloved son in the faith about equipping him, training him, getting him ready to do the ministry that God had called him to do. And so we're working together through this chapter and hope you are growing and learning as we go. Let's stand together as we read God's word today. 1 Timothy 5 and 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. Father, I pray today as we open up our hearts, open up the word of God to us, we pray that we will receive what you have for us, that that faith assembly of God will be a caring church that you want it to be. Perfect us, do your work in us, we pray. We ask it in your mighty name, amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look awesome. Then you may be seated. Every church is composed of all different kinds of people. Look, look around. Look at the diversity in the house today. All kinds of uh, shapes and colors and sizes and everything's different about us and there's a lot of diversity a lot of different kinds of personality right here but how many know it's in diversity is our strength we were all alike this would be a very very boring place and so it's in our diversity that we find strength today and 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 this church has got to be a community that cares for one another in the body of christ But because we're all so diverse and we're all so different, we don't care in the same way. We don't do it in the same way. We don't treat everybody in exactly the same way. And that's what the Apostle Paul says right here in these first two verses. How many know there's huge generational differences? And Paul says it's different the way you treat old people and the way you treat young people. So guys treat me as an old person with respect and honor. And then we take those younger crowd, those 20-somethings and 30-somethings, and we treat them a little bit differently. And we treat the young ladies differently than the older ladies. He uses a word in verse number one, rebuke. And that carries the idea of a very hard censure. And he says, so don't rebuke an old man. Treat him like a father. Give him honor, paying homage, give him some kind of respect along the way for all of his years. And yet, younger people, you might be able to speak a little bit harder to. You may be able to pound the gospel into their head or pound some kind of thought or whatever you're trying to teach them or train them with. You can go more direct at a young person. How many know when a person gets so old, there's very little change that takes place after a certain year? 
I mean, let's face it, guys. When a person is so old, you're not going to change them anyway. And the Apostle Paul says, don't rebuke an elder. You treat them differently than you would a young. A caring church gives guidance and correction, uh, but does it with the idea that there are differences in personality, difference in age group. And so we don't treat everybody alike. We treat them differently in the body of Christ because we are different. Now, Paul's going to move on. And he's going to talk about how to treat and how to care for people in the body of Christ. We treat others differently. I had, I had uh, the privilege of having three children. And uh, Jason is my middle son. And you know him. He's the youth pastor here at Faith Assembly of God. And we discipline him differently than we did Lindy. Lindy was my youngest daughter. And so the discipline was a little bit different. With Jason, we called him Iron Bottoms. Because you could spank him again and again and again. And it just took a long time to get it through his head. He just didn't quite get it. And, uh, and so he just uh, got a lot of spankings and he never did really learn his lessons. And, and, and so he eventually got it. Lindy, you could just look at it and she would start crying. She would break down. You give her that stern look and the tears would start to flow. And dad would melt. And so she probably got out of a lot of spankings. She should have gotten And I don't know if she used it to manipulate me or she was genuinely moved to tears or fear or whatever the case may be. But the discipline was different in our house. We tried to keep it the same. You don't always do it the same way. And so it is in the family of God. You treat different members in the body of Christ differently. That's what the Apostle Paul says right here. And then he moves into some specific areas of care in the church. Now jump down to verse number three. He's going to talk about care for widows. And we're going to broaden this spectrum a little bit to apply to all those who are hurting, all those who are in need. Let's read together. Honor widows who are really widows. If any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents. For this is good and acceptable before God. Now she who is really a widow and left alone, trust in God, continues in supplications and in prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. And if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. Well reported of for good works, if she has brought up her children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they deserve to marry. They desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn how to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but also gossipers and busybodies saying things which ought not have been said therefore i desire that the young widows marry bear children manage the house give no opportunity to adversity to speak reproachfully for some have already turned aside after satan if any believing man or woman has widows let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows now this whole passage is a little bit hard for us to grasp in some ways Because we have widows in our 
in our country, in our nation that are often cared for by Social Security or their retirement plan or their husband's pension plan or whatever the case may be. And so we may not understand how important these words of the Apostle Paul were to the early church. It's difficult sometimes for us to understand the plight of widows in that generation. They had several things going against them. First of all, she was a woman. Not that that's a problem, ladies. Don't mean to imply that. But there was no way in that culture for a lady to provide for herself. There was no way to earn an income. There was no way to earn a wage or a salary. And if this widow had no children or grandchildren, she was utterly without financial assistance or help whatsoever. She was all alone. She was absolutely destitute. No source of income. And and Paul says the church has got to come along beside and care for these godly women who have given their life for that church. Take care of them, provide for them, pay for them. Now, he says in verse number three, honor widows who are really widows. Why does he add that phrase, really widows? What defines a real widow? A real widow was one who was destitute. Three things, he says, defines a real widow. Number one, they were left all alone. They're by themselves, there's no family, there's no one to look after them, no one to care for them. Number two, they were genuine believers in God. He said, really widows, those who are Christians, those who love the Lord, they are the responsibility of the church. Number three, a woman of constant prayer. What a great description of a godly woman, a woman of prayer. And the Christian community was to come along beside those and help them. Historians have said that by the third century, the church in Rome at that time was supporting 1,500 destitute widows or real widows indeed. Now he goes on to say if this widow has children or grandchildren, they ought to take care of their own and not be a burden to the church. In fact, I think he has in mind the scripture In the Old Testament, honor thy father and thy mother. Let me tell you, church, let me tell you, family, if you have parents, elderly parents, it's your responsibility to take care of them. Grandchildren, if your parents aren't around and your grandparents are still alive, it's the grandchildren's responsibility to take care of grandma and grandpa when they get older. That's that's our duty. Some of you guys have been doing that. You honor your parents. You've brought them into your house. You take care of them. You move down with them. You watch them. You you look over them. You make sure they're going to be okay. You, You sacrifice financially so they can be taken care of. You sacrifice personally your time and and even spiritually. Some of you have had to back out of certain ministries because you've got to take care of elderly parents and so you can't be involved in the church as you once were because you're looking after those who are widows. And every situation is going to be different. The word, the text doesn't tell us how to care for them. It just says it's our duty and our responsibility. We must not ignore those, the Bible says, are really widows right here at Faith Assembly of God. But I don't think we should draw the line right there. Now follow me here. I believe the Lord has a mandate for his church to care for all those who are hungry, all those who are poor, All those who are needy, turn, if you would, to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. In fact, I want to use the widows of Paul's day as a representative for us to care for the hurting. This has got to be a caring community, a caring body of Christ 
right here in Somerville, right here in Goose Creek. We've got to do it. It's our responsibility. There are millions who are without. There are millions who are hurting. There are those in this economy who are broken, who are going through difficult time, and the church has got to come along beside of them and care for them and reach out in love. And if the church doesn't, who will? Listen to James 2. I want to show you what James had to say about the Christian walk and the Christian faith. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone say he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Her brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food. And one of you say to them, depart in peace, be warm, be filled, but you do not give them things that are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We've got to care for one another. We can't just turn our head and say it doesn't exist. The problems aren't out there. We can't say, brother, I'll pray for you. But we say, no, can I give you $50? Can I give you $100? Can I buy you some groceries? Can I take you out? Can I get you some clothes? Can I get you some furniture together? What can I do to help you? That's what the church is supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to do. We're the church. I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about every one of us. And so when we see they're hurting, we love them and we reach out and we care and we provide and we minister to them. Caring for those. The circle must be expanded to include and embrace all those who are destitute and need help today. This has got to be a caring body, a caring community. Listen to yourselves. How are you guys doing? Caring for the needs around you. In fact, in the Bible, the Bible says God blesses us so that we can turn around and be a blessing for others. It's not about more for ourselves. It's so he can flow his resources uh, through the body in Christ uh, so those who are in need can have those needs met and taken care of. It's a tough time. Got people in this church out of work. You lift them up, pray for them, give them money, help them through, do what we can. Caring for one another, caring especially the widows indeed. Second, he moves on to another kind of care, and that's caring for leadership in the church. Look at verse number 17. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while he treads out the grain. And the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except for two or three witnesses those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. Now, the elders are the primary church leaders. These are the ones that the Apostle Paul established in all the churches as he went from place to place. They were responsible for the spiritual growth of the congregation. They had to feed the congregation and teach them doctrine and teach them in the word of God. They also protected the congregation from false doctrine or error that might come in in any way, shape, or form. They were empowered to serve the body of Christ right here. And if the problem is, if the leaders of the church aren't doing well, the whole church suffers. And the church is the primary agency for getting the gospel of Jesus Christ out. And so if the church is weak because of weak leadership, it suffers all the way down the line. And so the Apostle Paul says, church, take care of your leaders. Now I want to tell you, I'm going to put a little disclaimer here. 
I, I, I came this close to skipping over this passage of scripture. I said, you know what? I don't want to talk about taking care of me. I mean, let's, let's, you're, you're, I'm not going to take care of me and your staff and your elders and those leaders here in the church. And, and, and it's kind of awkward. It, it's, uh, it's tough to address. It's kind of like Congress voting themselves a raise. And you know how you all feel about that when they do that. You just want to cringe inside when that happens. But when I got to this passage, the Holy Spirit convicted me and he says, you know, you're supposed to preach the whole counsel of God. And so I'm going to give it to you. It's not about me. It's for whoever is in leadership in any church, fashion, shape, or form. And so, guys, bear with me right here as we work our way through what this means. Two things he implies for leaders and taking care of your leaders. Number one is this. You've got to pay us. Saying it like it is. Now, he says pastors are like oxen. (laughs) Not a very flattering description of us. But he says the preacher is like the ox who when he is out working in the fields, when he is pulling the plow behind, they never put a muzzle on the mouth of that ox. He was unable as he was plowing to eat the corn and the grain that was in the fields. It was a part of his pay for working. So it says, you don't muzzle the mouth of the ox that treads out the grain. And then he quotes Jesus' statement in Luke 10 and 7, the laborer is worthy of his wages. And this, this is a picture of they would go out and hire the day laborers on the street corner, bring them in, and the Bible's very clear, pay them at the end of the day for the work they do for you. And so the, the implication is if the pastor is faithful in feeding and leading the congregation, the congregation should be faithful in paying them adequately. Now the Bible uses a phrase, double honor. They're worthy of double honor. It simply implies generous pay. Generous pay, double honor, generous pay. But, but I, I, I want to take it a step further, and I want you to bear with me here. I believe it's a double honor. Because I get the first honor of studying the word of God, of praying every day, of ministering to the body of Christ, of standing up here and preaching the word of God. My friends, that is the first honor. That's the most exciting thing. It is a thrill to be involved in ministry. I, 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 love, I love it here. I love my job. I love you guys. I love this church. I love the calling of God on my life. It is an awesome, awesome honor to be able to stand behind this pulpit and proclaim the word of God. Incredible. Second honor is when I get my paycheck next week. And I believe there's a principle here. And I've seen it work in this church. As you bless your pastor, God blesses the church. And just look around at what God has done. Isn't God awesome? Isn't God incredible? He has so bountifully blessed this congregation. And I believe one of the reasons he has done that is because you have blessed the leaders and pastors. And you honor us so well. And you show your love in so many different ways. And it is incredible to be here. And so God blesses us. And it just kind of is a neat thing the way God works in the body of Christ. And so he says, 
You need to pay those who lead you. And the second thing he says is he protects the leadership against irresponsible accusation. He says, when you bring something against leadership or elders in the church, make sure you got two or three witnesses lined up. Don't base something on rumor or gossip or the word of one person. And I want to tell you, there have been more pastors who have lost their ministry, their credentials because of false accusations that have come their way. And so he says, you need to guard against that. And every elder, every pastor has the, at least the courtesy should be given to him to have two or three witnesses lined up. He also should have the courtesy of facing his accusers. Mono y mano. And so... He protects them against false accusations. So he talks about caring for the widows, the destitute, the poor. Then he talks about caring for leaders of the church. And third and last, he says this caring community, the church, we ought to learn to care for ourselves. And especially Timothy. He says, Timothy, take care of yourself as a pastor. You need to do it. You need to be fit and in shape and healthy and strong to care for the body of Christ. Because if you're not caring for yourself, you can't properly care for anybody else in the body of Christ. So he's talking about those who labor in the word of God. Four ways, jot these down very quickly. Number one, Timothy and leaders and elders and anybody else who is in leadership ought to care for himself by treating others impartially. He says, don't play favorites. The credibility in pastoral ministry must be tied to unprejudiced and impartial leadership. Can't play favorites. Got to love everybody. Timothy, love everybody, Ephesus. Larry, love everybody at Faith Assembly of God. Don't pick and choose who you love and who you don't love and don't treat them differently. Now, let me just add a little caveat here. Anybody will have friends that are closer. Some friends are closer than others. In fact, Jesus Christ had 12 who were closer to him than anybody else. He was raising them up as disciples. He was loving them. He was spending time with them. They were his 12 closest buddies. And then he had, of those 12, three who were closer than the other nine. Peter, James, and John. And then of those three, he had one who was really close to, and that was John. And he is called the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so the bottom line is, in our natural makeup, that we can only really get close to so many people in our life. I, I wish I could be everybody's best buddy, and you're great, but it's physically impossible. It doesn't, it's not natural. It doesn't work. But yet in our treating one another, in our rebuke, in our correction, in our polity, in our loving, in our caring, in our ministering, as our reaching out, a minister, a pastor, a leader, or an elder cannot play favorites. Because as soon as he does, it, it sows seeds of division in the body of Christ. And ultimately, it'll come back to haunt that leader, that pastor, that church. Let's just take care of yourself. Treat others without impartiality. And then he says, second. Take care of yourself by choosing your leaders wisely. I want you to look at verse number 22, and you, you'll see this in there. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Now, don't lay hands on others hastily doesn't mean don't punch somebody out. Sometimes I just want to say to my staff, I feel the spirit of slap coming over me. 
just want to, ah, ah, and I, I, I fight that spirit, I rebuke that spirit, but you, you've, you've had that spirit come on you, I can see. Spirit of slap. It's not what he's talking about here. He's referring, and I've shared it in other places, uh, in fact, uh, 2 Timothy. Look at, just look at 2 Timothy 1 and 6 so you can see it. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God that was in you through the laying on of my hands. So when he says lays no, hands on no man quickly or rapidly, he's not talking about striking or slapping them. He's talking about that ordination service. He's talking about ordaining or commissioning or sending out leaders for ministry. And so he says, listen, when you are going to raise up leadership in the church, don't take a guy fresh off the streets. Listen, we got people coming here all the time. They come in and say, you know, I was in this church and I did all this and I was in that church and I did this and I'm ready to go. Let me teach a class. Let me lead a group. Let me do this and that. And I say, you know what, buddy? We love you. I'm sure you're great. But you got to go through our membership class. You got to go through our process. And then we got to watch your life and we got to examine your life and we've got to put you through a rigid uh, interview process and a, and a time of, of getting involved in the family of God because if I take a leader whom I haven't judged their character and I stick them in leadership, it's going to bring disaster on the staff, the body of Christ. It's, it's so hard to recover from those kinds of leadership falls along the way. And so he says, don't ordain, don't put someone in leadership quickly. So if you're brand new here, we love you, stay involved. There will be a place of ministry for you. But go through the process. And that protects the leadership and the body of Christ right here. And then number three, he says, you know what, leaders? If you're going to care for yourself, you better keep yourself pure. Verse number 22. Keep yourself pure. Then he jumps down in verse 24 and 25 with some more instruction. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them into judgment, but those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. Listen, and this is, comes with the territory. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is, I love the ministry, but some of what comes with being involved in leadership or ministry, it kind of puts me in the proverbial fishbowl. Everybody's watching. And that's, that can be tough at times, you know, so I, sometimes you want to pull the blinds, okay, you know. Everybody's watching and that comes with leadership. And so Paul says, Timothy, your behavior is being observed by everybody in Ephesus. They're watching your life and there's nothing more catastrophic in the kingdom of God than when a leader falls. And we've seen enough of that of television ministers and preachers and well-known evangelists and well-known pastors uh, who stumble and fall along the way. It brings reproach to the body of Christ. The media has a field day with it. We all look dumb we've blasphemed the name of jesus christ and paul says timothy keep yourself pure don't give the enemy an occasion to come in and 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 destroy and defeat your life and bring you down because when you fall it affects many others who are watching your life in some way shape or form now let me add this don't confuse integrity with perfection in fact, if a leader had to be perfect, the only one qualified to ever pastor this church or any other church would be Jesus himself. He is the only one sinless. 
And yet a leader or an elder should be a man of integrity. And what does integrity mean? It means one's private life matches his public life and there's no contradiction between the two. So what you see is what you get. And so there should be a lifestyle that reflects the values of Christ. So in verse 22, he says, avoid other people's sins. In verse 22 again, and keep yourself pure. We've got to always beware of the power of our example. Now listen, this verse applies to everybody in the body of Christ because people are watching you. And so when you're at work, when you're in the community, wherever you're at, church, keep yourself pure. And then fourth, he says, you know what? If you're going to care for yourself, you need to take care of your physical body, your physical needs. Now look at verse number 23. Some of you guys love this verse. I hope not too many in here. No longer drink only water, but a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Oh, I'm sick today. My stomach's bothering me. You do enough of this, it'll really bother you. Now, let me straighten up some of your theology here. Let me help you out if I can. Just stay with me. This is water, by the way. In chapter 3, and I didn't take a whole lot of time on the qualifications of elders and deacons, but in chapter 3, he said an elder must not be given to much wine. So he's already... Put that. And he says the same thing for deacons as well. And so Paul warns Timothy very strongly against drunkenness in the church. And he said, leaders who are addicted to alcohol are disqualified from spiritual leadership. He said, don't let them be given to much wine. And so if somebody has an alcohol problem, he should not be a leader in the body of Christ. Now, my words, it's Paul's to Timothy in chapter 3. Now, most likely, in Timothy's passion to avoid controversy, probably was totally abstaining from alcohol, from wine. He would not drink any wine whatsoever because he saw himself as that example. The only problem is Timothy is in a difficult problem church with false teachers uh, and guys who are messing up the church there. He's got this, he's this young guy. Everybody's watching him. He's trying to be an example. He's by now, you almost get the idea he's got ulcers or something going on inside of his stomach. He's got real stomach problems. Uh, and so Paul, in his humaneness, says, you know what? Rather than drinking that polluted water, go ahead and drink a little wine for your stomach's sake to help you out physically. That's the context. Guys, it's not a license for you to go out and get drunk when you leave church and pull out of the parking lots. Follow me here. This is not an endorsement for the alcohol industry. He was using wine for medicinal purposes. It's not an encouragement for social drinking. In fact, for some people, drink a little wine creates a real problem because one in 10 Americans is alcoholic today. And so they don't know what a little wine means. And they get a little taste of it on their lips. And they drink it and they drink it and they get sick and they get drunk and they abuse their wives and they spend their money. 
and on and on it goes. And families are being destroyed in America by alcoholism. This is very personal advice to Timothy. And it was also in a culture where drinking wine did not have any connotation as social drinking does in our day and age. Let me just say this and I'll put it to rest now. Excessive use of alcohol or anything else for that matter that impairs your judgment, your thinking, your distorts your reality is always inconsistent with the profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll leave it at that. Drunkenness is a manifestation of the flesh. It is not a characterized uh, by the fruit of the spirit. Uh, Our minds are not to be alcohol controlled or or drug controlled, uh, but our minds are always to be spirit controlled, spirit led. That's good, guys. I'm telling you, this is good stuff. And if your toes are hurting... Now, the overriding principle is this. Paul says, Timothy, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Take care of your body so you can properly take care of the flock and those who are underneath your authority. Dr. Clinton did a survey of Christian leaders for the last 30 years, and he discovered a troubling trend among leadership in churches, and it's getting worse Many Christian leaders, many pastors, elders, start out strong, but in a survey, he said, few finish well. They eventually quit or disqualify themselves from ministry because of moral failure, or they lose their vision, or they simply give up along the way. The challenge for leadership in the church today is to finish well. And I like what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. Uh, I'm finishing strong. I'm finishing well is what the Apostle Paul had to say. And he says, congregations, you can help your pastors, your leaders finish well by honoring them and by blessing them. Now, let me add this very quickly. I am blessed to be a pastor at Faith Assembly of God. And you have honored me in so many different ways. And I will tell you, this is a wonderful, caring body, a wonderful, caring congregation, a church where we truly love one another and respect those in leadership. So Paul sends this powerful letter to Timothy. And he gives this, and in raising up leadership, in training leadership, he gives them some beautiful attributes or things that describe a caring church. A caring church at Faith Assembly of God should care for everybody, both old and young. We care for every generation. We care for the elderly. We care for the young. It should be a congregation that cares for male and female alike. It should be a congregation that cares for the needy and cares for the sufficient, cares for the weak and cares for the strong, cares for the followers and cares for the leader. It's cared for and loved and nurtured by one another in the body of Christ. And you know what? When we're caring for each other, in some way, Paul says, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Because we're loving one another and we're caring for one another. We are doing it unto the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to be, church. 
a caring community of faith. Amen. Let's take this lesson to heart. I want you to stand with me. Let's stand together. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for this congregation. I want to pray for this body. Our musicians are coming very quickly to the platform. We're going to sing a song that says, God is awesome in this place, that we are all stones and building blocks, building together the body of Christ right here at Faith Assembly. And that's what we are here. We're, there's a, and, you know, and no stones alike, but together, you put it all together, it makes a beautiful family, a beautiful church. God is raising up. Let me pray for you. Just bow your heads and close your eyes, if I may. Father, I thank you for each person here today. Lord, I thank you for your love for us, your care for us, and how good you've been to us. And I thank you again for your body and blood that was spilled out for us and the way you care for us and the way you forgive us again and again and again. And so I pray, God, that we would model your behavior. We would care for each other in the very same way. We would learn to forgive one another and dwell together in unity, God, that you might continue to bless this congregation. Uh, Lord, help us to open up our eyes for those who are needy all around us and not close them in indifference, God, but to reach out and love them and minister in grace to them, whatever their needs may be. I, I pray for those who are widows indeed here today. God, that you'll wrap your arms around them. You'll show your love to them in a special way. You'll comfort them even in their loss. God, just be with them, we pray. I thank you, God, for the pastoral staff that you've enable me to labor with God I thank you for each one of them and pray your richest blessings upon them thank you for everybody here God we truly believe that you are awesome awesome in this place go ahead this podcast has been a presentation of faith assembly where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life thank you for listening this week